You heard me say it, and I believe it wholeheartedly, that if you lead with identity, everything else will follow. But I've had the experience in my work of coming in contact with individuals who want what follows, but aren't willing to lead with identity. It used to bother me and I could not figure out why they did not want to lead with identity. Then it dawned on me that people think that doing identity work means that you're broken. When in fact, it has nothing to do with brokenness and it's not an attempt to fix you. Identity work is about coming in alignment with who you are and not fixing, but honoring who you are and building a brand that is most authentic to who you are. So if you're ready to leave with identity and become a supernormal superstar, visit YourSupernormal.com right now and let's do the work. Blog Talk Radio. What's up, everybody? My name is Clifton Pettyjohn, and you are listening to Transformation Radio, where we transform lives through purposeful conversations. Transformation Radio, where we transform lives through purposeful conversations, regardless of how uncomfortable or unpopular those conversations may be. My name is Clifton Patty John. I'm a purpose strategist, author, transformation coach, spiritual leader, and radio host. I provide tools and strategies to transition individuals from a life of merely existing to experiencing and living a life full of Purpose. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us again on tonight. Thank you guys for who joined us last night on our special show. I appreciate that. We have another special show coming up this week as well. I'll announce that at the end. So real quick, we're going to get to our guest in a minute, but I always like to go over this. Um, I open up the phone lines the entire show. That's right, the entire show because we want each and every one of you to be a part of the conversation, okay? We all can be a part of the conversation. However, we must do so in a respectful manner. 
you're not going to agree with everything my guest says. You're not going to agree with everything I say and vice versa. However, we can learn to disagree from a respectful place. And when we learn to disagree from a respectful place, then we create the world that we all desire to live in. And plus we learn. One of the greatest things in life I've learned is being around people that don't have the same belief system as me has helped me grow so much because sometimes we can be around the same people all the time and we become closed-minded. And when we become closed-minded, we close off opportunities to learn and experience new things. Here's the call-in number. The call-in number is 516-387-1756. Again, 516-387-1756. All right, guys. So now, without further ado, I want each and every one of you to help me welcome to to, to the show tonight's guest, Justin Michael Williams. Justin, how are you this evening? Hey, good, good. So good. Really excited to be with everybody today, and and thank you for having me, Clifton. This is a a real honor. I'm excited to chat with you. Awesome. We are so excited to have you on the show. As I said, you know, before we got on the show, I know that this is going to be a great show where people are going to be able to pull some things from this show so they can experience the transformation that they desire and whatever part of their life that they are pulling for that transformation. Mm-hmm. So I always like to start with a light question. Um, I've been using the same <laughs> light question since we started the show. I believe that this question helps us understand our guest and their purpose even the more. Okay? Yep, I'm here. So I'm ready the, for it. All right. Here we go. The question is, if you had one superpower, what would that superpower be and why? Oh, I know the answer to this question. I've thought about this long and hard already. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would actually, it would for sure be to control time, to be able to stop time, mm-hmm. rewind time, move time, add time, slow it down, whatever it is, because Time is the one, it's the only thing, as far as I can think of, unless you can think of anything else, it is the only thing we can't get any more of. Everything else, somehow, you can get more of somewhere. But time is the one thing that we cannot get any more of. And, you know, a big reason why I'm, I'm so interested, and I, you know, I know that you share this with me, Clifton, is just so interested in personal growth and, and transformation and, and living the best life is because we know that our life is finite here, you know, on this yeah. earth. And right. sometimes it seems like time is moving slow and time is moving fast. But when we look inside and we do the inner work and we connect to something greater and we step into our purpose and overcome toxic habits and toxic cycles, that's how we actually make the most of this time that we have here. And I think even though we can't slow it down or we can't get more of it, you know, what we can do is make sure that we're living the life that we were born to live during this time that we have. So anyway, time, time would be the thing for me. Awesome. And we're going to go back to that because I really want to talk about um, living in, you know, the now. Sometimes we get so caught up in the past or the future that we miss moments that we could really capitalize on in the now. So I really want to go back to that 
uh, probably midway in the conversation. I definitely want us to revisit that. Okay. What was yours? I'm so curious what your, what would your superpower be? (laughs) Mine actually would be to control the mind of others. Now, not in a negative sense, uh, but in the Mm -hmm. sense of them understanding the possibilities of what could be, you know, to go past Uh, all the hurt, the fears, the, all those things that have piled up over the years to make them believe they can't. I would like to be able to manipulate the mind for them to see, you know, just a portion of what the possibility was, you know, so that they could experience. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. So um, now also we do the light question and then we do a game of word association. Okay. Okay. So I have, I have a few words I want to say and you sing. So here's what you can do because sometimes we play song association. So you have some options with the game. (laughs) You can tell me one word that comes to mind when you hear this word, or you can tell me a phrase or if you have a story around the word, or if it's a song that comes to mind and you want to sing a little bit of that song, you are welcome to sing a little bit of that song as well. Okay. Do I have to try to go fast? Like I have to go with whatever comes to me first? Is that the, the idea of the game? Yeah, I don't want you to think about it. I just want the first thing that comes to mind when you hear it, that's what I want you to either say, sing, or elaborate okay. on. Okay? All right, deal. You ready? Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. here we go. Life. Would you say light? Do you say life or light? <laughs> life. Life. Life is a gift. Okay. Peace. Mm, we need so much more of it right now. I just thought of Donald Trump mm-hmm. and all the stuff that's going on right now in the world and the election and how much divisiveness is around right now. I'm just thinking how much more we need peace in the world. Absolutely. Number three, passion. Mm. So passion for me is a really interesting concept, I think, because so many of us, I think we look and we are looking to live a life that has passion in it, but we, so it, it, it isn't often that I find that we actually schedule and put passion into our lives as a priority, you know, and so many people, I think I'm constantly thinking of the fact, like so many people are like, oh, I, I want more passion in my life. I want more this in my life. And we think that it's just supposed to magically and suddenly appear. But one of the things that I know that we could even talk about later is that, you know, when it comes to people who live a passionate life, they schedule passion and fun and play and joy into their life the same way they schedule, you know, going to school, taking care of their kids, going to work, going to the gym, going to whatever, you know, and I think that uh, passion is something that we sometimes think is just supposed to happen to us, but we actually have the agency to create a life of passion, not to just sit as a bystander hoping that it appears. And I like what you just said about scheduling it in our lives. I think that sometimes a lot of us have, and I I used to be the same way, like I thought that, hey, passion, it had just come up. You know, like I don't have to schedule this into my life. It's just something that I have instead of realizing it is okay to schedule it in my life. I like that part. Yeah. And you know, when it does happen, 
on its own naturally it's a beautiful and amazing thing but it's like mm-hmm. we don't we don't want to it's not like any of us are saying for anybody who like needs to make money you're not like oh well, let me just live my life and see when i happen to make some money you know what i mean like <laughs> just see what happens like that's scheduled into your life you know like if you're somebody who right. exercises or even eating food, like you're not just like, oh, let me just go around my day and see when some food happens to appear. Like, you know, okay, I take my lunch break. Yeah. I do this. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things for me around passion, a big lesson that I learned from a mentor of mine, you know, about a decade ago is this big thing in the world right now. I'm sure, Cliff, I'm sure you've heard plenty of this, but everybody thinking, oh, you have to work in your passion. Like you should be making money in your passion. And it's a big thing right now. It's like a hot topic, you know? And I think that's a real big misconception. It like, you can be working at the bank. You could be working at wherever you work and in an office, in a desk job, doing whatever it is that you do. And you don't have to be sad or mad about that. We can be grateful that we have those jobs to bring us income and put food on the table. And it's also crucially important that we also have our passions incorporated into our life. So like some of the clients that I work with, I'll say, you know, they're like, oh, I love dance or like I love gardening. You know, I love flowers and plants. It's like, well, you don't got to give up your whole life and give up your job to try to be a full time dancer, a full time gardener. You can just go to dance, make sure you schedule dance into your life once a week. Make sure you're going doing your thing out in the yard a couple times a week, you know, and, and now you have a life that incorporates passion with a plan. And anyway, I think I just probably went much longer on that than you probably wanted me to, but it's an important topic to me. No, that's, you know, like I told you, you know, go flow. It doesn't that, that, that matter to me. It's not <laughs> like it's a that schedule for every answer. And I think that what you said was very important too, because I think a lot of people believe that, when they find out what their passion is, they do have to leave, you know, their job or everybody has to be an entrepreneur. And if you're not an entrepreneur and you're not doing what you're passionate about, then clearly you're not living the best life. And I think that takes the fun and excitement out of some people's passion because now it kind of becomes a burden versus it being their passion. So that was, I like how you explained that as well. Thank you. Yeah, I am, you know, like for me, it took me, it took me, God, eight. So, you know, the first part of my career, the last decade, I really, I originally was working in marketing and it, and it took me eight and a half years, almost nine years to completely transition off of that and be working now fully in my passion of, of writing and music and speaking like it, but the marketing work was what was paying the bills for many years, you know, and it just happened over time. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I was able to make that transition, but it's not something that happens overnight that people expect it to just like, Oh, I'm just going to quit my job and become a singer. If you do that, you know, good luck. <laughs> so Right. Right. And, and then the people that encourage you to do it, when you do those things and then you're struggling, you can't find them anywhere. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> so I always encourage people, enjoy the process, slow down, enjoy exactly. the process, you know, because I'm sure that uh, the skills that you acquired from your career in marketing has helped you tremendously, you know, with, with pursuing your passion. Absolutely. Yeah, it has completely. Okay. Next word, love. Love. 
Oh, love. Oh, love conquers all. You know, I think I've been thinking about love actually lately in a different way. Um, you know, I think we look at love as this mushy word and we think about relationships and think about lots of different things. But I've been really looking at love as a force. And I was first in, even introduced to start thinking about this, interestingly, when I was listening to Marianne Williamson talk. And I know people have lots of different opinions about her, but I think that one of the things that she said that opened my mind to this idea about love as a force is when we love something like, you know, we will go, it, the force of love drives us to do things that we never thought we would do drives us to accomplish things that we never thought we'd accomplish. Like think about a mother who we hear all these stories of like a mom who, you know, ends up lifting up a car, you know, to save their child. And it's like the, that love generates a force inside of us that helps us really move forward in our life. And when we're leading with love and we're following love, I feel like we have more strength uh, to do anything than, than when we're not. So I see love as a force. Awesome. Okay. Number, f uh, the fifth one, freedom, freedom. Mm, so freedom is actually the, um, freedom is the, the style of meditation that I teach. So, you know, for people who are listening, okay. know I'm a, I'm a meditation teacher and, uh, teach meditation really not because I want people to just sit and relax, but actually because meditation is a practice that can really help us all become more alive and become more connected to our intuition. You know, I say that one of the big things that I always say is that prayer is when you talk to God and meditation is when you listen to God talking back to you and you take a moment to hear that mm -hmm. voice. And the style, the style of meditation that I teach is actually called freedom meditation. And so as soon as you said freedom, uh, that's what came to me first. That's great because the next word actually was meditation. So that was good oh, that really? you, and I didn't know that that's the, the style that you teach. But I'm glad you said how you describe meditation as, you know, prayer is us communicating to God. Um, meditation is him communicating to us or, you know, however people identify God. Um, yeah. Because a lot of people feel as if meditation goes against their religious beliefs. So can you, right. can you hit that real quick? Oh, yeah. This is a big one. And look, I get it. I have to tell you <laughs> I have to tell you a funny story. So real story, like when I first started meditating a decade ago, which you have to remember, like Oprah hadn't done no meditation challenge yet. You know, I definitely didn't know any black mm -hmm. people meditating. Mm -hmm. And you right. know, so when I first started <laughs> meditating and I started, I remember I posted something on Facebook talking about like the universe, this, this, that, and the other. And my mom and my grandmother literally tried to have an intervention because they thought I joined a cult. They said it was worshiping the devil <laughs> and, and what serious as a heart attack. And I get it. Cause I grew up, I grew up in the church, you know, so I understand, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. the truth is, this is, this is the real thing. Meditation actually does not interfere with or conflict with any spiritual or religious beliefs at all. Here's, here's the real truth. Right. What I can say here is, a lot of these practices like meditation and mindfulness and different things with the earth and whatever, most, not most, all of these practices originated and came from people of color, indigenous people of mm -hmm. color. And what has happened over the centuries 
is these practices as colonization happened, you know, and capitalism came forth. What happened is all these different practices got demonized for us. These were the practices that we started thousands of years ago, got demonized for us so that we wouldn't be connected to our greatest source of power. And then now sold back to us in a way that we can't afford Mm. and we can't relate to, you know what I mean? And so then it seems like it's some whole different thing. So, you know, so it's a really interesting thing. So what I will say, you know, for sure is that meditation does not interfere with or conflict with any spiritual or religious practices at all. And if you're somebody who is spiritual or religious, what I like to say is think about meditation as as a way to enhance or strengthen your connection to God or the universe or spirit or presence or the higher power that you have. And, you know, I said this earlier is what I really truly believe Clifton is prayer is when you're speaking to God or your source of higher power. And meditation is when you learn to listen to the messages coming back to you. God doesn't scream until he has to, usually he's whispering at us. And so many of us, we spend so much time asking, show me the way, what do I do? Show me, I don't know. I'm ready. Show me, show me. But we never cultivate a practice of listening to the messages that are coming back, oftentimes until it's too late or it shows up as a death in the family or a big injury or life smacking you upside the head, you're in the wrong relationship, you know, whatever. And so meditation helps us listen so we can get on about living the life and get on track with our life. So that's how I feel about that. Absolutely. I totally agree with it. Now, you, you hit something, um, and because we're going to stay right here with meditation just for a little bit. Um, yep. You said you were talking about it, you know, not it doesn't interfere with anything from a spiritual standpoint and religious standpoint. Now, you're teaching meditation. So how do you deal with uh, people of color who say, man, you're not teaching me that white people stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear that. Can I tell <laughs> you know, you? this, I this, this not for our people. We don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I hear this. I hear this all the time. It's probably the most common thing I hear. And I have to tell you, I said the same thing. I, I When I first started, <laughs> I said the awesome. same thing. And, you know, like, and I get it. You know, we have these things like, oh, I can't get my mind to stop thinking. First of all, meditation ain't about getting mm-hmm. your mind to stop thinking. That's another thing that they tell mm-hmm. us that isn't true, you know. And and here's the thing. Here's the thing that I'll tell you about about this, like really strongly in particular, is meditation. At least the kind of meditation that most of us have heard about really started with a bunch of men who were monks who were sitting in the forest. So here's the mm-hmm. thing: you weren't even allowed to meditate when you were a woman back when it started thousands of years ago. And back then to become a monk, you had to release and abandon your whole family. You had to never talk to your friends again. You had to let go of all your desires. You had to let go of never have sex again, let go of passion and intimacy, leave your family. If you had kids, you had to leave them, sometimes sit in a cave or under a tree for days without eating or drinking or anything. And it was so intense that the monks had to create these special techniques to help them disconnect from the world. And one of those techniques was meditation. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people look and they hear these styles of meditation and think this ain't for us, this is for white people. This is, you know, I have to chant or it's against my religion. And that's because there are styles of meditation that do chant and pray to gods and do this kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. that's not the style of meditation that I teach. 
nor is it the style of meditation that most of us need. Because here's the thing. We ain't monks. We're monks. You know what I mean? Like, we don't need to be doing the same kind of meditation as monks. We're modern people. We live in a high-tech world. We got first-world problems. We got things to do. We got iPhones and social media and passions and dreams and kids and jobs and, you know, struggles that we're going through. And so if that's the case, for many of us, we need a different type of meditation. And the one for me that really acknowledges my struggles, that helps me overcome is a style that I've learned to teach and I've been teaching now for the last decade called freedom meditation. Got you. Okay. So while we're talking about meditation, let's go ahead and talk about your book. Let's talk about Stay Woke, a meditation guide for the rest of us, for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Who is the rest of us or who are the rest of us? Yeah, I I actually have a section in my book when I was first writing this meditation guide for the rest of us. I was really thinking just, you know, those of us who have felt left out of this movement, unable to relate to the type of meditation and mindfulness that gets thrown and looked at us that we're like, that ain't for us. That ain't for me. So what else is there? How else can I, you know, get a practice that helps me cultivate a relationship with my inner self? with my intuition, with the voice of God? How do I create that practice? And, and, and so I actually wrote in the beginning of my book, um, on page three of the book, when I was writing, my publisher yeah. said, hey, can you define who the rest of us is? Like, who, who is that exactly? And so here's what I wrote. I'll actually read it. Um, it says, for my black brothers and sisters, this is for you. For my LGBTQIA plus brothers and sisters, this is for you. For my women who've had enough, this is for you. For my starving artists and workaholic creatives, this is for you. For my conscious entrepreneurs who want to make an impact, this is for you. For those who have been discriminated against for their otherness, this is for you. For my social justice warriors, this is for you. For my tree-loving planet savers, this is for you. And for all people of color and everyone who is woke enough to understand why I'm even pointing that out in the first place, this is for you. This book is for us, for the people. And that's who the rest of us is to me. And, you know, I think it's so important that we have practices that are not just here to help us relax, but that are here to help us become more alive, that are here to help us overcome toxic habits and, toxic habits and patterns, and that are here to help us step fully into the lives that we know when we close our eyes, we know we were born to live and do something great. So, that's kind of why I, that is why I created this book. Awesome. Now you also talk about some myths in this book. One of the myths that really yeah. caught my attention, um, and I want us to talk just a little bit about that as well. And the reason why it caught my attention because I used to think this as well. <laughs> um, I can't concentrate long enough to meditate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you ever believe that about yourself? <laughs> you know, yes. have you met individuals? Oh, clearly, you've met individuals that believe that because you, you know, you put it in the book. But I did. I used to think I said I can't calm my mind. My mind is always racing. I can't calm down enough to sit and just breathe and visualize and all of those things. Yeah. Yeah, here's here's the thing. People are uh, p- there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about meditation that really just keep us from doing it. And again, there's different styles, right? And some styles are there that want you to try to stop thinking whatever. 
here's the thing, okay? When people say, oh, I need to get, I can't get my mind to stop thinking. If we just take a moment to think about how silly and crazy that sounds, you can't get your mind to stop thinking. Even if you thought you got your mind to stop thinking, that was still a thought that you got your mind to stop thinking. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all still thought. And that would be like me saying, oh, y'all, all right, it's time to meditate. Let me get my heart to stop beating now. Like it's just not, it's just not going to happen unless you, unless you did. You know what I mean? And so the thing right. is, is I find that instead of trying to get the mind to stop thinking and instead of worrying about concentrating – what meditation is actually about is learning and understanding how to be with your mind, your emotions, and your life mm-hmm. as it is in front of you today. And so many of us, especially those of us who've grown up in any kind of struggle or who had to overcome anything, we've gotten so much practice at pushing things down. We push things down. And then what happens is these things that we're pushing down – they end up seeping up out into our lives in other places where they don't belong. We end up snapping at our kids or snapping at your partner or whatever that you're doing that wasn't even supposed to happen. And so what meditation teaches us to do is to allow it, allow it all to arise in a way that doesn't wreak havoc on our lives, that allows us to sit with it so that we can feel more alive. And I keep, you know, I keep saying, I've said that a few times, I like to become more alive. And I want to just for a second Mm-hmm. say what I mean by that, because a lot okay. of times people think like to meditate and to whatever doing personal growth means life is always good, right? Like, oh, I'm always just going to feel joy and happy. No, like that's actually not what it's about. There's a wheel of emotions. And if anybody's, when you're listening to this, if you just Google image search, like wheel of emotions, you'll see there's all these different emotions that we can feel. And the ones that are easy and that we like to feel are things like joy and happiness and excitement and enthusiasm and love. And then there's things that are more difficult for us to feel like sorrow and pain and anger and sadness. And the thing that meditation helps us do is learn to paint with every color in our emotional canvas so that it's not scary to us. It doesn't overtake us. It doesn't spin us out. We learn how to hold the sadness and the joy. When something bad happens in our lives, we learn more quickly how to be grateful and see what we're supposed to be learning from it instead of spinning out and spiraling in depression. So we learn how to become more alive and more present with everything that life is bringing us. And that is really what meditation uh, cultivates in our lives. And I'm glad you explained it that way because I remember the first time I did it because I've made up my mind. I don't do New Year's resolutions, but I set goals, you know, for the year. And one of my goals was I'm going to meditate every morning. I want to meditate every morning. So I got up the first morning, and I said I'm going to start with five minutes uh, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I was still thinking I can't get my mind to stop thinking past five minutes. So I'm going to start with five minutes. So I sat down and I started, and the thoughts were just still coming through my mind. (laughs) So in my mind, I thought, you just failed at meditating. You know, so (laughs) listening to the way that you explain it, like it makes it make a lot more sense to me now versus, you know, trying to block off everything. No, you need to pull up some of those things that have, you know, gotten deep down inside of you that you suppressed and, you know, yeah. become one with, with with those things. So I, that now it makes sense. Yeah. So I realized and, and, that you know, I have and I not just failed. Wanna, sorry, guys. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. No, Sorry you're good. You're you. good. Now I was just saying that I, I just would... realized that I have not failed and I will continue to do it. Yes, yes, you did not fail. And, and you know, one of the things that is really important, you know, is – is sitting and just thinking, right, is, is not meditating, that sitting and thinking. Mm-hmm. But what we do, and I think one of the things that ties into the first myth that you brought up from my book about people think they can't concentrate, that's a lie. We can concentrate. Okay, some people really do have ADD and stuff like that, so I'll honor that. But for mm-hmm. most of us, you can concentrate. The reason why we have so much trouble concentrating during meditation is because we'd be bored, right? And like for most of us, staring at a candle flame, focusing on your breath, focusing on your heartbeat, that is going to be boring after a few minutes, you know? And so, like, yeah. of course, you're yeah. going to have trouble concentrating. But, like, if you're, when you have something interesting and engaging in front of you, something that you love, something that you like, it's not hard to focus. Mm. And think about it. Like, you could, be, you could be driving, okay? You could be in the middle of a mall talking to a bunch of your friends in the middle of a great conversation, And let's say you're dating somebody and boom, you see you get a text message for them. Bam, you are concentrated, okay, focused. Everybody disappears and you're right there in that text message. You don't need to practice concentrating. What we need to make sure we're doing when we're meditating is we're trying to focus our awareness on something that we love. And so in the book, one of the things that I guide people towards doing is creating their own mantra. And some people ask me, what's the word mantra? A mantra is kind of like, it's not really an affirmation. It's, it's not a word that has to be a big secret or anything like that. What, in, what a mantra is, is it's a word or a phrase that you use in your meditation practice to help anchor your mind. And everyone, in the, in the book, I call it your unique energy signature because every single person has their own mantra that's perfect for them that makes them feel good. And so just to give people a a little hint, obviously I go way deeper in this in in Stay Woke, the book. Um, What you can do is even just think about when you imagine yourself living the life of your dreams, I'm talking all boundaries are surpassed. All challenges are overcome. You've got the money that you need. You're in the relationship you need. You're in the job you want. And you let yourself go there and imagine you are living the life of your dreams. And then you ask yourself one question, what do I need in my life now to step into that vision? What energy do I need in my life right now? What do I need to cultivate in my life today to step closer to that vision that God has for my life? And for some people, the answer to that is going to be, I need more peace. And so their mantra might be peace. And for some people that they're going to say, I need more power or I need more patience or I need more grounding or I need abundance or I need whatever, it's going to be different for everybody. And when you pick something that is unique to you, instead of relying on some app or some guru or somebody to prescribe to you something that they say you need, then meditation becomes interesting because we're creating something that is unique to us and that we know is helping us cultivate the energy that we need to actually reach our goals. Got you. Now, the title, Stay Woke, how did you come up with that title? I know that's a very popular saying, um, but how did you come up with that specific title for this book? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So what a lot of people don't know is that the word woke, 
right, actually is not a new word. Like I feel like a lot of people saw this mm-hmm. word mm-hmm. come up in the last four, five, six years, and we see people saying like, you know, woke AF and hashtag woke and whatever. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is woke is not a throwaway word like fleek or like bay or like whatever. This word yeah. actually is sacred because it comes from black people on the East Coast. This is where it started in the 1960s, where they were dealing with, you know, crack cocaine being put into the community. They were dealing with some of the same stuff that we're dealing with today. And the word woke, they started using it as this code word, telling other brothers and sisters in the community, hey, you better stay awake. You better be paying attention to what's going on in the world. Don't get fooled by this system. And the word, although now it's been misappropriated and misused by journalists that turned into this trendy thing, the word woke, we actually can't let that word go. It can't be thrown away like we throw away some of these other words that, that get trendy because we don't actually have another word to replace it with. And we need mm-hmm. that concept. Like no, there's no – you can't even define woke. Like what is it, when you say, oh, it means awake. No, that doesn't quite get it, Right. Woke really means something specific, and if we get rid of that word, we're really at a loss because right now in the world, more than ever, we got to stay woke. We still need to stay woke, and so that's the title came from this deep resonance of understanding that a part of our awakening comes from us going inside of our own selves and seeing the places that we need to change in our own lives internally so that we can see the world that we want externally. So many of us try to change the outside first. We think, if I get this job, yeah. if I get this house, if I get this yeah. relationship, then, may, then I will be happy. We, we know that don't work. It don't work. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not <laughs> long term. You, you may be happy for a minute, you know what I mean? But, like, you yeah. will go back. Mm-hmm. And so my vision for this book was to help people guide them into their inner world to that connection with God, with spirit, with, themse- with their higher self, so that they can stay woke and step into the life that they were really born to live. Awesome, awesome. Now let's talk about that inner work, that inner work, because um, that is what you love inner work. I believe you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love it. I mean, because it's, it's so necessary for us now. How did you get to that place and where you came to the realization of the importance of inner work, or is that just something that you had even as a child? Oh, gosh. No, I mean, so I think most of us, you know, I don't know about you, but most people, including me, come to inner work because of trauma or hardship or struggle in our lives. Absolutely. You know? Mm -hmm. And it, and, it, and it forces us, and I think all of us have the capacity to go here, those moments, when hard moments happen in our lives, we usually have a choice. We get to look inside and say, what is this happening to me for? What do I need to learn? Or we ignore it, and we have to learn the lesson again and again and again and again until we get it, you know? And so I'm very lucky because my grandmother was passed on now, and I have you know, some beautiful stories that I can share about her. But the thing that I want to share right now is that I was so lucky at a young age to have my grandmother, who I was very, 
very close to. And she was just constantly instilling wisdom into me. And as I was going through my struggles and dealing with so many different things, you know, as a young kid and coming out of the closet and, and, and all the struggles that came with that and going to school and, you know, what happened for me, Clifton, the real truth is, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood, like gunshot holes, literally gunshot holes on the outside of our house that I grew up in and, you know, domestic violence. And I had a lot of love in my family. Like I loved my mom and my dad were super close, but there was a lot of trauma too. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. us have these, these traumas and these things that we deal with from domestic abuse to alcoholism to poverty and whatever. And so for me, as a kid, you know, for most people who grow up in the hood, like there's a few ways that you get out, right? Like one is you play sports. I sucked at all the sports, so that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> number two is, is, you know, you sell drugs. And number three is yeah. you get an education and, and go to college. And so I ended up doing everything by the book that I thought I was supposed to do. I got, I graduated with honors. I got a full ride academic scholarship to go to UCLA. I'm going to college. I'm getting good grades in school. I'm doing every, I came out of the closet. I was trying to be my authentic self. Everything. I was free, finally living in Los Angeles. And now all of a sudden I realized, wait, on the outside, I did everything by the book. I did everything I thought I was supposed to do, but inside I still feel like crap Mm -hmm. inside. I'm still sad. I'm still hurting. I still feel like I'm not being my authentic self. I still feel like I'm in the wrong relationships. What's wrong? This ain't working. And then my grandma, that is when she started to help guide me slowly. Cause you know, when you were a kid, you don't listen, guide me inward to my own self. And that's where it all started. Awesome. Awesome. But yeah, I, I like how you hit, you know, the trauma because I think that some people hear the word trauma and sometimes don't want to face it or identify it as that because they feel like if you said I experienced trauma as a child, that means I had the worst parents in the world. That's not what we're saying at all. You know, every, mm-hmm. I believe that a, a, people from all walks of life, all different uh, different backgrounds experience some type of trauma. So now yeah. you said something while ago about toxic behaviors, toxic behaviors. How do yeah. we identify yeah. those toxic behaviors and what are some things we need to do in order to properly address them as opposed to either suppressing them or just ignoring them? Yes. Okay. I'm going to go into that. And I want to say one little thing to what you just said, because I know it's probably bringing up a lot for people about feeling like their trauma makes them have you like, they may have the worst parents in the world or whatever. I I get it with that. Like I get it because I love my parents. We have gotten so close. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. I know they did the best they could. They had their own stuff that they were dealing with. They were young when they had us, you know, I get it. And like, and the, the and is we also, because of their choices and their actions, we today have things that we got to deal with. Otherwise, we're going to keep repeating the same stuff. And, and this goes into the toxic habits thing because what my favorite quote, and I don't know who said this, it was one of the anonymous quotes online. It says, what doesn't heal repeats. What doesn't mm. heal repeats. And so, because somebody got to heal it, somebody somewhere down the line got to stop the cycle. And 
Right, so is right. it going to be you, or is it, are you going to pass it on to your kids in a, in a slightly different way? You know, when we think we're not doing the same toxic stuff as our parents and the same toxic stuff, but the, it ends up having the same impact, even though we're doing slightly different things. And so this is why looking at trauma, this is why un- uncovering that is so important, because we end up having these things controlling our lives from the background without us even knowing it. And then we end up stuck in toxic habits and toxic patterns, sometimes without even realizing it. Yes. I totally agree. Totally, totally, totally agree. Especially um, if if we can talk a little bit too from relationships. I know that um, (laughs) a lot of the relationships I I was in, caused me to have to face myself eventually because I didn't at first. It was always their problem. They, we couldn't be together mm-hmm. because of them. They had all the issues. <laughs> but it really helped me. <laughs> Being in some toxic relationships really helped me face my own stuff. You know, didn't want to, didn't always, don't always like to do it, but it helped me come to a reality to see, man, you were the problem in that situation. So can we talk about relationships and trauma as well? Do you believe individuals' trauma affects the type of relationships they end up in? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> like the, 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 the straight answer to that is yes, you know, especially if you're, <laughs> if you're, not, if you're not looking at it, um, if you're not working on it yeah. because – what happens is we end up manifesting or calling into our lives people that we need to help us see and heal certain things. Like you said, Clifton, like, you know, you've been in certain relationships that you thought it was all them until you realized after the fact it was you, but you were going to keep calling this kind of mess into your life until you finally realized that it was you, you yes. know, and that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that there are not toxic people in that the people in your life are all just good, right? Like I understand that there are some bad people to be with people who are abusing you emotionally or physically or this, like those things we just kind of need to get support and get out. But, you know, ultimately let me tell you about one of the most kind of toxic people of all that people often overlook. And I write about this in the book. Um, I call this person a skeptical friend and a skeptical Mm -hmm. friend is really interesting because we all have them. Every single one of us have skeptical friends. A skeptical friend is one of those people that you know, you don't really want to invite them or you don't really want to call them, but you do because you're nervous. If you don't, they're going to get mad if you don't, if when they see that you went. Or if you have some like exciting news to share, something exciting happens in your life, you're not sure when you tell them, like you'll tell them about it and you're not sure if they're happy or you're jealous or if they're jealous. Or sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, your intuition feels like something's a little wrong, something's a little off, but you can't place it. You can't quite figure out what, what it is because on paper everything looks good or they're passive aggressive or you feel like you've got to ask them questions to make sure they're not mad at you or you're walking on eggshells. Like these kind of people – oh, my favorite thing about a skeptical friend is every time you tell them some new thing you want to do or some new idea, they're like, well, let me just – to play devil's advocate – you don't need your friends to play devil's advocate. <laughs> Listen, if you're somebody who's out there playing devil's advocate for people, stop, because the whole world is already devil's right. advocate, okay? With, right, like, we, right. your friends, 
you need to believe in you more than you believe in yourself, you know, to push you forward. And so, you know, skeptical people I find are the most toxic people to have around us because they are the people Mm. who subtly sabotage our success without us even knowing it. Now, why? The reason why is because if someone's real bad for you, like you know they're a bad person, you know they talk mess, you know they gossip, you know whatever, you keep them at a distance. And if somebody's good for you, you keep them close. But a skeptical person, because they're in this in-between state, they're allowed to hear your dreams. They're allowed to hear your goals. You don't keep them at as far of a distance. And all it takes when you're trying to do something new, when you're trying to start that new business or you have that new idea or that new relationship or that risk you want to take for your creative project or whatever it is that you're doing in the world, all it takes is one pessimistic comment to turn you completely off track. One, you know, and that's what a skeptical friend is going to do. That skeptical person will say, well, I don't know if you should do that, you know. What's so-and-so going to think? Or what, what if it costs too much money or whatever when you were really just needed somebody to say, yes, girl, go for it. You know, like that's exactly what you need to do, and, and I believe in you, and I'll support you. And so what I'll say here because I know what happens is oftentimes people are – people whoever's listening, our listeners are probably saying, well, I already know who my skeptical friend is. And oftentimes it's a friend <laughs> or a family member or a partner, and this is the thing. You don't – like – just because somebody's skeptical, you don't have to feel bad about putting it's not like you need to cut them out of your life. You just need to right. clock it and then you limit what you share with them. It's not like they're a bad person. They don't have bad intentions for you. If that's the case, they're a toxic person. But the skeptical people, this is why I think sometimes like, you know, your mom, maybe she is skeptical about relationships, but she's great with business advice and, and creative and you guys have fun. Mm-hmm. So around relationships, just move in silence. Just don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Just like if she asks right, about it, like, right. oh, so what's happening with so-and-so? Oh, it's good. You know, like, <laughs> you know. Right. And so anyway, it's just, that's what I do. I keep skeptical friends. I limit what I share with them. And I only share my dreams and my goals and the big things that I'm working on in my life with people who I know the only thing that they would do is pray for me. And that's who I share my things with. Great, great, great. Okay. Now, how did the book come to life? How did, you know, I know you talk about, you know, you teach meditation and everything as well. But how did the idea for the book come about? Oh, man. So it was a really interesting story. So in 2016, with the election, I think one of the things that happened for for many of us is we were asking, okay, what do we do? What do we do? You know, because for there's some people, and I'm so grateful for these people, because we need them, and they have been doing this for a long time. They've been fighting and active, being activists and organizing and protesting and doing this for years and years and years, and I'm endlessly grateful for that. And for other people, and I'm one of these people, I was like in the back seat, you know, like grateful other people were doing that, but, ooh, I don't watch the news. It's too negative, or I don't blah, 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 you know, like that kind of thing. And when 2016 happened, I, like probably many of our listeners today, were asking, I was, was asking, what do I do? How do I help? How do I show up? You know, and for some people, it's organizing and marching and protesting. And 
although I love and I can go to those things and I think they're important, that wasn't the best use of my gifts and my talents and my skills and what I was able to contribute to the world based on the things that I know and the things that I'm good at. And so I started asking really in prayer and in meditation, asking, show me the way. How do I serve? How do I show up using my gifts and my talents and my skills? And the thing is, I've been teaching meditation for years, like at the point that I had the idea for the book, I've been teaching for seven years. And I, but to be totally honest, I was constantly teaching in rooms of pretty much all white women. I was a token black guy, you know, teaching meditation mm-hmm. at all these big festivals and these big conferences, sometimes thousands of people in the audience, and I'd be the only person of color in the room. And I remember sitting there and I heard like a voice in my head say, Justin, this practice that has changed your life, why are you not teaching it to the people who are like you? Why are you not teaching Mm. it to people who grew up like you? And I just, it woke me up because I just said, why am I not? You know, because I had that thought in my head of, oh, well, black people think I'm whitewashed because I'm doing meditation and this and that. But the thing is, is, that was in the beginning, and now things have changed. People have opened their minds. They understand that there may be something here. And so I had the idea for the book. I started teaching and started hosting free classes in Los Angeles where I live with lots that were free for people of color, and, and that's when I really felt like I landed at home. And I started – people started asking me the questions like we started with, well, ain't this worshiping the devil and ain't this da 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 and I, rem- I just laughed because, I, first of all, I had never in my whole career in seven years been in a room of white people where one person thought meditation was worshiping the devil. But the thing was, <laughs> right. was those were – when you get in one room of black people, especially black women who are like over 40 or 50, they're going to ask that question. And the thing was is I was like, I'm home because that's what I had to deal with myself, and we need a book. Right. We need to see ourselves in this movement of meditation. Otherwise, we're never – going to do this practice and this practice can change your life. Awesome. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm laughing because I just, I'm just thinking about the whole meditation thing. And when I started talking about learning it, that's what I, you don't need to learn it. You just need, you just need to trust God more. What are you talking about this meditation thing? So as you were talking about mm-hmm. the group of women, I can imagine the statements and the questions and all of those things that were embodied in it because we viewed this thing as like an enemy. Like you said, it's been so demonized for all these years that we haven't realized how much of a benefit it could actually be to us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. So like, now, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Literally. Like, be still and know. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is – it actually is in the Bible. And, and so we – you know, right. I, I know that black people, we like to be very selective about what we choose and not choose to listen to in the Bible. You know what I mean? And so, right. like, but right. this is one of those things that we need to pay attention to because you can keep praying. But if you haven't cultivated, and and most of us have gotten very skilled at praying, we can say some beautiful prayers, but we haven't cultivated the skill of listening, you know? And so this is what that, this is a part of, there's many benefits to meditation, but for people who are religious, you know, and believe in God and and believe in a higher power, this is one of the main benefits of the practice is getting you more closely connected to listen to that voice when it comes to you. And I saw where you said even as far as with meditation that it helped you even more than therapy. 
I believe you said. Yeah. 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 Uh, because now I even see where where our people are embracing therapy. I was a person too that was. I don't need to go to therapy. I go to church. But you know, mm-hmm. I kept somebody suggested I go, and like my first session, they were like, my therapist was like, it's gonna take you a while before you feel safe enough to talk to me. They didn't take me a while. It was like, wait a minute, I'm missing out on this. So, can you talk about how it was? What what about meditation? Um, and we focus a lot about it in this hour because I just feel like it's so important. What is it about the Thank meditation you. aspect that helped you more than the therapy um, component? Yeah. Here's the thing. So the first thing that I'm going to say <laughs> is it's really interesting when people say, well, I don't need to go to therapy. I just need to go to church. Well, let me just tell you, you know, I say to people, <laughs> sometimes the people you talk into at church are the reason you need therapy in the first place. So let's pause yes. there. Do you know what I mean? Like, so like, yes. not everybody, you know, but there, there, there has to be a place for this. And somebody who's skilled enough, what, this is what one of my mentors told me years ago. I've been in therapy for years. And they said that a good therapist, what they know how to do is how to ask you the right questions to help lead yes. you to the answer that's inside. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what a good therapist does. You know, it's not as scary as people think. And here's the thing, Clifton, yeah. the, the truth is I didn't know this until I was writing the book, but my experience, which I'll share in a moment with therapy and meditation was life changing, completely profound. And now they've actually done scientific research at places like Harvard and Yale and UC Berkeley and all over these science research labs about meditation. And one of the things that's been found is that when meditation is being used alongside things like therapy, it actually helps increase the benefits of your therapy practice because, and here's, here's what I experienced. It's because if you're just going to therapy and you just talk about something and then you just go back to your life like normal, it's the same thing as like going to church and Sunday, and then leaving and cussing out your kids in the car. You know what I mean? It's like it ain't going to do exactly. nothing. You know what I mean? And, and so when we take a meditation practice and combine it with therapy, you have these deep insights and realizations that you're having in therapy, and then you have a quiet, still moment in, back in your real life to integrate, to listen to the unfolding that happens in your real life because of what you learned in therapy. So you may have learned in therapy like, oh, when this happens with my partner, I get reactive because it reminds me of something that happened in my childhood with my mom and my dad, right? And it triggers me in this way. You might learn something like that in therapy. And so when you have a meditation practice, then you build the awareness so that when you're in that situation again in your real life, you can get still, get quiet, and integrate what you learned in therapy into your life. Because really, therapy is useless if you don't take different action in your life. And meditation for me was kind of how I grounded it into my real life. Got you. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It's it's kind of like the work part of it, too. Like a lot of people um, think, I'm just going to go to therapy, and that ends it. No, baby, now we got to work on that stuff. It was good that Mm -hmm. you got it out. That's a great step. That's a great step. But now we got to do some work with it as well. Now, before I um, let 
you go. I do have a question I meant to ask you in the beginning, but we just went. It just flowed. I enjoyed it. It flowed. Perfect. Yeah, let's been talk easy about talking it. to you. What is purpose? Uh, I love this. I I have a section in my book actually. Um, let me see if I can flip open to it. I have the book in front of me right now called Your Purpose is Not a Job Title, okay? Mm. Your Purpose is Not a Job Title. And the reason I wrote this is because we throw around this word purpose so often these days. You know what I mean? Like, how do I find my purpose? How do I live my purpose, you know? And this is the thing that I say to people. Your purpose ain't to be a singer or a writer or a dancer or an actor or a mom or a dad or whatever. Those are all nouns. They are all job titles. Those are all, if I express it this way, those are all nouns, right? Like we know what a noun is, a person, place, or a thing. Your purpose Mm -hmm. is a verb, is an action, okay? And we live our purpose. Our purpose is something that is moving through us, that is being created through our choices and our actions every day. And so when you say, oh, my, I, I'm a dancer, I'm an actor, I'm a singer, I'm a mom, or whatever, those are all mediums or methods or modes through which you get to express your purpose. And there's going to be many ways in your life that you'll be able to express your purpose. So I tell people, you know, stop expecting to find some catchy little one-liner to say, well, this is my purpose. This is my life purpose. No. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and some of us, you yeah. know, especially for entrepreneurs listening – we get so stressed about this. We're trying to write this purpose statement, try to come up with one catchy thing of like, what is my purpose on this planet? And then we feel like, well, that almost gets it, but it doesn't get everything. And that's because your purpose is, you know, we all have many purposes in this great mystery of life. And the key to finding our purpose is to really stop asking and searching, what's my purpose? Get in the moment and realize that your purpose is not what you do, it's why you do what you do is why you're doing it. And so the question that I like to ask people is, you know, think about you ask this question, like as a mom, as a whatever, whatever it is that you do in the world, the many titles that you hold and that you will hold in your life. I always ask, how can I be of service? How can I serve? And it's not like, how do I serve? You know, it could be a nonprofit or whatever, but I mean, How are you serving your family, yourself, your partner, your community, the people that you love? How are you as an individual in every action you take being of service? And and this is what leads us towards the constantly ever-evolving purpose that is our life. And it changes, you know? And I I tell people you have to be flexible in it. I mean, I say fluid in it instead of thinking that, Okay, my purpose is to sing. That's all. That's it. I don't want to do anything else. Mm-hmm. I just was put on this earth to sing. Like that, I was. I like how you broke that down because that is so true. And so many people have gotten mixed up over the concept of purpose and not realizing how big and how broad it actually is. And just be you. The greatest thing you can be is yourself. Be free enough to Amen. be yourself. Now, yes, yes, let's talk yes. a little bit about the, the the music as well. We are actually off the air right now. Okay. Um, we talked ourselves right off the air. 
But let's talk about the music component as well. I saw some of your inspirational, uh, your motivation videos that uh, you had one called Stay Woke. Do you yeah. write those songs? Yeah. You do all the writing. Um, okay, so the Stay Woke video that you saw is none of those are my original songs. It was a medley that I that I put together of songs that have been out for the movement. But many of my other songs that I've done um, on my album and everything like that, I've written, and uh, they're very personal. So, yes, I've been involved in the writing of, of every single song except for the Stay Woke one because that's a medley. Yeah, I, I I realized that one was the melody. I meant to say, I'm sorry, I meant to say the broken mirrors. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, broken I did mirrors. write that song. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about broken mirrors? Um, you know how that even you know the writing process behind it, and even the life process behind it. Yeah, you know, I think so many of us we often look in the mirror and we only see the things that are wrong. You know, we see the bodies we wish we had, the weight we want to lose, the opportunities that aren't right for us because of our skin color, how we grew up or whatever. And I wrote broken mirrors to say that those mirrors are broken. You know, the chorus says the mirrors are broken, broken inside. The mirrors are broken. The truth is a lie. The mirrors are broken broken inside the mirrors are broken and I can't hide and so it's like if we could only look in the mirror and see how powerful we all really are how much differently we would live our lives it reminds me of how you kind of started this interview talking about you know you would be able to change people's mind of what they Mm -hmm. saw as possibilities for themselves this song was like what would it be like to look in the mirror and actually see yourself for the power and the beauty and the magic see, magic and the grace that you really are instead of just seeing everything that's wrong. And so that's why I wrote that song. Awesome. Now we're going to segue into the three questions I ask off the air. Um, and okay. we're going to segue right from, from the broken mirrors. Now you talked about your coming out. If there are young people out there today, and not even young people, middle-aged people on up, um, that are facing the concept of, I need to come out, should I come out, I want to come out, I don't know if I should come out, I don't know what's going to, you know, what this is going to embody. What advice do you have to those individuals? Mm. That's such a great question. Thank you, Clifton, for giving me space to talk about this. So, you know, it's a very personal, personal decision and personal choice and personal moment for you to be able to come out. And, and for some people, there are very real consequences that, that come with that, you know, Mm -hmm. and from what I know, from all the people I've interviewed and talked to all throughout the world, is in most cases, and I'm not going to say in every case, but in most cases, the thing that we think is going to be the worst case scenario doesn't happen. And even if it does, mm-hmm. what comes on the other side of that is a level of freedom yeah. and power and authenticity that is more valuable than whatever it was that you thought you lost. And that, that's in most cases. Now, I'll say that there are 
times when people really deal with violence and some real hardship for coming out. And I understand, but, you know, I really thought, I genuinely thought that when I came out to my parents, they were going to disown me and kick me out. And that's why I waited until I went to college because I was like, if I'm in college, I have a scholarship. I don't have to rely on anybody. I waited, you know, that was my real, my, that was the absolute reason I waited. And, and then I did it. And yeah, I had to deal with some stuff, you know, but like now my mom was out protesting for gay rights more than I was like, she has come so far, you know, and, and she, she's now like an advocate. And I think when we hide our truth, this is the biggest thing. When we hide our truth, we don't give our parents or the people who we're worried about, we don't give them an opportunity to confront themselves to learn. You've been placed on this earth as you are for a very specific reason this way. And as we hide our truth, we take away the opportunity for finding the people who really love us for who we are. And for the people who are more challenged, we take away their opportunity to grow. So I encourage people to come out and to also find support for yourself when you do. Find someone around you who loves you, who you can talk to. Don't do it alone. And remember, it's a personal choice, and you don't have to feel forced to do it either. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I that I always like to ask that question when there's an opportunity, because we all have our different stories. Um, we all had different mm-hmm. experiences when we decided decided to do it. So I always like to hear everybody's, you know, psychology or, or philosophy behind the whole coming out concept. But I will definitely agree with with you when you said, um, I agree with all everything that you said, but especially when you said the thing that you think would be the worst thing that could happen will happen, mm-hmm. but even if it does happen, that which comes after it will be so much greater. Because um, when I did, I lost, because I grew up in church, so it was like I was in church, church, so you, everybody yeah. I knew was in church. So when I made that decision, that cost me everything that I knew, my entire support system, you know, everybody. And I remember having days where I thought like, man, this is crazy. But I tell anybody that was the greatest decision I ever made in life because it was so freeing and the benefits after it were so rewarding. So that's why I wanted to ask that question before we got off the air, because I believe it's a lot yeah. of people out there that need to hear that. Yeah, you know, and and I um, I did an, a great interview on my podcast. I have a podcast called Motivation for Black People. People can find it anywhere. It's on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, wherever, Motivation for Black People. And I did this great interview with a guy named Cameron Wright, and he's a singer who, uh, you know, was in the church and talked about his experience coming out in the church and what happened to him and now what happened in his life afterwards. And it's just, it was an amazing testimony, you know, of somebody um, who's gone through this as well. And I think the more stories we hear, the better. And I also think that, you know, for those people who feel too scared to do it, there's a lot of us out here doing it and we got you, you know, so don't be afraid to reach out for support. I know that if I, if there was a young gay guy who reached out to me and said, Hey, I'm scared. Can you talk to me? I would do it in an instant. And I'm sure you would too, you know, so just, uh, reach out definitely definitely will be there to be that bridge i think that's so important that support is so important like you said 
make sure that you get support while you're doing it. Don't try to do it on your own. You don't have to do it on your Mm-mm. own. You know, there's a great support system out here. All right. The second question I like to ask is, here we like to acknowledge what we call transforming transformers, okay? Those are mm-hmm. mentors, spiritual leaders, those that have been there for us during some of the toughest times in our lives. They helped pick us up. They pushed us. They made us mad sometimes, but they were pushing us to be great and to be who we are. So I like to ask everybody to share one, two, three, four individuals that have been that those transforming transformers in your life Mm. okay so number one would be my grandmother who i called my baka she was number one number two would be my mom she was always there for us and really did so much to her absolute best to do everything that she could for all of us going through everything we had to go through Number three would be my mentor, Lauren, who actually kind of took me under his wing when I was 18 uh, and taught me how to meditate. And I wouldn't be doing any of this right now if it wasn't for him and his grace, you know, teaching me for free, you know, how to meditate when he charged, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars an hour. And he he spent hundreds of hours with me for free. And uh, yeah, I think I'll start that. I'll start there. Oh, actually, there's one more. There's a lot more people, but the other person I'll name is Another friend and mentor of mine named Brenda. Brenda has been a, a huge light for me and somebody who I still call today anytime I need guidance or support, and she's always doing it with so much love and grace. So I'm really grateful for Brenda as well. Awesome, awesome. Now, before I get to the last question, I want to give you the opportunity to give everyone your information so they can connect with you on social media, they can go by your website, they can see the courses. They can see uh, the book. Go order the book. I've been encouraging people already. Order this book. I'm telling you, order it. It is going to be transformational for your life. But I want you to give them all the information to get up with you and purchase your products. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so you can find me on social media any anywhere at We Just Will. That's W-E-J-U-S-T-W-I-L-L, We Just Will. And uh, that's for Justin Williams. And, uh, you know, that's on Instagram. And just search Justin Michael Williams on social media, and you'll find me. And then for everything else, the book and beyond, uh, you can just go to justinmichaelwilliams.com, justinmichaelwilliams.com. And the last thing, you know, that I think is really important for me to share is one of the things that I'm doing on my book tour is I'm traveling to some of the most impacted cities in the United States and going to underprivileged high schools and colleges around the country and, and giving free books away to kids and doing these huge, massive, like mm-hmm. TED Talk kind of style events where we're giving away books to thousands of kids and teaching them how to meditate and teaching them personal growth. And uh, we're going to places like Atlanta and Chicago and Flint and uh, Oakland. And uh, what we're doing is we're trying to raise money to get to as many cities as possible, to as many students and schools as possible. And uh, people can go to this website. It's staywokegiveback.org. And you can donate any amount, large or small, any amount. It only costs $8 to support a child to do this with a, with a kid. And uh, $8 is all it takes. So you can donate more. And again, that's at staywokegiveback.org. And everything's tax deductible, fully 
I'm supported by a 501c3 with my publisher called the Sounds True Foundation. And uh, we're just on a mission to help really bring this to kids so that we as adults, you know, so that when they're adults, they don't got to be spending all this money on therapy that we got to spend to overcome some of this stuff, you know? So, right, right. Stay woke right. Org. <laughs> That's awesome. I had another guest on the end of last year. Um, he's big in med- on meditation as well, Deron Essex. He's out of Chicago, and he actually goes oh, cool. into the schools and teaches of meditation. So, actually, that was a question I had, but we just kept going and going and going. I forgot to even ask yeah. a question about how important is med- learning meditation as a child. Uh, if you want, if you don't have mind taking a couple minutes just to address that as well. How yeah, it's just you know, just very quickly, I'll say that these tools are important for all of us and. The, a lot yes. of the traumas and the things that end up uh, that end up kind of forming our lives and forming our brains that we then have to overcome as adults happen between the ages of 10 and 14, you know, when we're in those adolescent years. And most mental illnesses are, are, are start between even light ones like anxiety and depression start between the ages of 11 and 24. And so when we're young, it's wow. the best time to learn these tools so that we don't have to uh, be undoing a lot of the damage as adults. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Now, I said I have one more question, but it's actually two. If individual, if everybody that's listening to this forgets everything that you said, what is one thing that you would want them to remember from this interview? Mm, That they are, or that you listening, that you are worthy, you are powerful, you are ready, you deserve the life of your dreams. And right now in history, more than ever before, people are going to look back at this very important moment in our history. You have to remember when the civil rights movement was happening, it wasn't called the civil rights to live in their lives. And I believe that's what's going to happen is in this moment is people are going to look back at this time that we're in today, and I want every single person listening to be somebody when they look back and say, those people, that person, they made a difference. They made an impact. And, and right now, we all need to stay woke and, and step into our full power, our full agency, and our full potential. And, and I hope that this book and the tools and even this conversation today help you do that. And I just want to thank you, Clifton, because you and these conversations that you're having are so important and so vital, and the work that you're doing in the world is so important for all of us. So I, I want to thank you for having me and thank you for the work that you're doing on here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you for your willingness to come and not just come, but share openly. You know, a lot of people don't share openly, especially freely, you know, when mm-hmm. um, I think it's just so important that we do this for not just the next generation, but for the generations that are here right now to understand you know, how powerful, yeah. as you just said, how powerful we actually are. Now, here's yeah. the question I end every conversation with. This is the last question of the conversation. Who is God okay. to you? Mm, this is deep. This is good. <laughs> God is everywhere in everything. Mm-hmm is a force, is a presence. You know, Oprah said this one time that, it, that God is a, is a presence and a force. And 
I really believe that it's in everything and every single thing around us. And for me, God is something that is inside of me and outside of me and is in the trees and is in nature. And I believe that the more we're able to ground and connect into that source of power that's here to support us, the more we're able to live a life that looks like the vision that God has for our, for our own lives. And so for me, God's everything, really everything. And uh, everything that I do is to be in service of the vision that, that God, he or she or whatever it is, okay, has for my life. So. And that's the perfect way to end the conversation. Listen, guys, thank you for joining us on tonight. I don't just hope I know something was said that will help you along the way as you are experiencing your personal life transformation. I appreciate each and every one of you because without you, there would be no show. Justin, again, I thank you for joining us and your willingness to share your story with us. Guys, make sure you go by his website, connect with him on social media, and support, support, support. Join me Wednesday night. I'm sitting down with Derek Gordon, and that interview will be at 10 p.m. as well. Connect with me on social media. Just type in Clifton Pettyjohn for more information about everything we have going on with the show and other uh, endeavors that I have going on, visit www.cliftonpettyjohn.com. So, guys, this is where we say goodbye. And as I always say, create a great day, walk with purpose, and by all means, execute your vision. Be blessed. So I know you've heard me talk a lot about working with people in entertainment, and perhaps you don't necessarily work in entertainment. And if you do, you may not need a full overhaul at the moment. However, you may be facing a challenge or working on a project that you could use objective perspective or expertise on. Um, this is why I offer consulting. Here are the areas I can help you in. Branding, marketing, creative strategy, spiritual development, identity strategy, style and image, content strategy, entrepreneurship. I would love to work with you to navigate your challenge or to enhance your project. If you want to book a one-time session or inquire about a short-term consulting relationship, you can do both by visiting YourSupernormal.com. Let's get it.